Great. Yeah, yeah, you've been around the whole time. Shooting, shooting and recording as well. Camera. <laughs> I don't get it. Welcome back. We're at Expanse Day 4. We have a jam-packed day for you this last Saturday. Um, of course, there is Sunday left, but Saturday is way more jam than we thought it would be. First off, we talked to David Albert Toth and Emily Gaultieri of Parts and Labor Dance. Then Freya Olafson of Hyper comes and visits us in the tent. Tony Tran gives us a breakdown of exactly what Vogue Dance is and um, as part of his presentation with the Alberta Grown Showcase. Krista Posniak, the winner of last year's New Work Award, who also presented as part of the Alberta Grown Showcase, visits us as well. And Rebecca Sodden with Fabulous Beast, a solo that was choreographed for her by Davida Monk, um, also chats with us about her work on that showcase. We hope you enjoy. It is a lot. Hey everyone, we're here in the tent right now with uh, Parts and Labor Dance, who is Emily Galtieri and David Albert Toth. Welcome. Well, Thank thanks. you. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the piece that you brought to Expanse? Sure. Um, so the piece is a bit of a, a mix of uh, personal and not personal. Um, so on, on paper, uh, the not personal is, is that it's inspired by Rhinoceros, by uh, Eugene Ionesco, mm -hmm. um, and specifically by the Béranger character, and he's the main character, and so the short, the short version is people in the, his town slowly become rhinoceri or whatever. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so he goes through this, this um, this moral battle in a sense uh, where becoming a rhinoceros is a bad thing and they're seen as ugly and it's a disaster and it has to be stopped and eventually little by little he I'm fast forwarding through a lot of it but eventually he becomes uh, the last person who's a human being and when everyone else is a rhinoceros all of a sudden you know he's the overwhelming minority and he starts seeing the beauty in it and he has this monologue where he goes and, and just he's it's the very end he's trying he's trying so hard to become one um, and you know talking about the the beauty of their skin and, and how they look and all the things that were previously these ugly things become these beautiful desirable things to him um, and so he it becomes interesting because he has this this just this shift of um, desire for identity um, and so it, it uh, UNESCO uh, it was a springboard. It like was a the search yeah. to like yeah. uh, identity was a springboard for us to find something that we were able to tie into the personal. And if if I could share the personal, um, Dave's grandfather, who is a genius, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, a mathematical philosopher. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. he very much kind of lived within his own head in a lot of ways and um, we took a little bit of inspiration from that as well that like what are the what are the lines that that we cross when we're when we're inside of that kind of mind state that mm -hmm. kind of um, ways of, of, of being and and how do we turn that into an experience and how do we turn that into art mm -hmm. if, is that mm -hmm. fair to, yeah, to yeah. say yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. on watching the piece you could kind of see some of the math in it, I thought, like especially the instruction on how to build the paper airplane and the mm -hmm. f like the mm -hmm. the number, like the folding succession and, and yeah. things like that. 
Yeah. So when you when you start with with source material that's uh, that sort of comes from two very strong places, very distinct. How do you find you you uh, find the movement within that to to explore in a piece like this? The physicality kind of came in from different places. Sometimes it was really just physical research. Sometimes it was choreographic phrases that then we took apart, played with. Sometimes it was really state-based stuff and just body language and seeing how. So this brings me to 2013. Mm -hmm. um, we were working with Melanie Demers as a, as a choreographic mentor. And she really helped us blur the line between taking a, a state, the physical language that would come with it, and gently bleeding it into dance. So that what we really wanted to have, what we really didn't want to have actually, is probably mm -hmm. simpler, um, is to have a character doing choreography. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happens when you have something on your mind and you anchor onto something very specific, what can that trigger and then how can you build that until you're all of a sudden in a place where you're moving and it's technically what we could call dance, but I've never really started to dance. Right. It's just that it builds and it builds and it builds. So it's it's tricky, um, but it kind of encompasses all of that. And so that became really interesting for us to use that not only to bring us into the dance, but then how do you bring that from, um, say, like a body language, a, a way of moving into something that becomes structured improvisation, which is dance, and then itself bleeding in and out of things that are set choreography, like written choreography. So the idea is that everything kind of morphs and, and not that it stays the same because mm -hmm. that would be very boring um, but you know that you have these these spikes these curves but not not square it doesn't right. you know it's not you here's know. the character and here's yeah. the dance part exactly. and now we're back to the character exactly. Exactly. sort of more fluid um, which is which is a great challenge I think I, I think it's a really fun way to approach dance um, it, because physicality is very important to us it's very important for us to not stay only in the conceptual but to really find the dance of it find the movement of it mm -hmm. but at the same time we're in a place where that just the movement just the dance isn't enough to fulfill us as, as creators so it's we're constantly negotiating the two to find things that really fulfill us both on the outside as choreographers and on the inside as a, as a mover, as a performer. Um, so I think I wanted to ask about some of the specific movement in the piece because there are a couple of images that really stick out. Um, particularly, you have you have such a lovely long body and a really long wingspan, and there's long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's like I mean we were all talking about one uh, one sort of tableau a little bit and it's a stretch where you're going back behind mm, and the yeah. arm comes underneath where did that come from because it look it's something that I think I don't know that I've ever really seen quite like that before it's interesting because when Dave and I started working together I think that uh, Dave was still learning how to use his whole body mm -hmm. you know I think a lot of dancers are actually quite uh, small and and not as tall as Dave and so I you know I noticed for a long time Dave would kind of hunch and he, and, he, and I we spent a long time actually really working on opening that up and embracing what he was he was given and because I'm working on the outside um, basically I'm able to push him as far as I can <laughs> and and I don't mean that in an abusive way at all. I really like although sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it it becomes very interesting um, when he embraces the fact that it can be a strength to see how far we can um, go with it. And so it started as being something really simple, like a backbend, and then he started allowing his weight to come through the arm and the arm to take over, and then it just became this like. <laughs> 
um, and it and that's really how we how we got to that place. And what what's that been uh, like to explore for you as the performer in the piece, sort of using the your body? Uh, yeah, well, that, <laughs> and that, then I guess just the body yeah. to its maximum potential, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, so, like Emily said, Emily um, has had a, a, a big hand in um, in creating a space where where I can really explore what's ultimately kind of a weird and not conformist dance body. Um, and you know, like oftentimes when we talk about non-conformity non in dance bodies, we talk about weight, but there's also having to do with height, and height calls into flexibility also. Like I'm not a flexible dancer, I don't have these beautiful pointed feet. Um, and so finding expansion and, and working with what's ultimately a tight body um, has been a challenge and also very rewarding because it lets us find a lot of a lot of textures, you know, when you can't rely on form in a traditional sense, um, it makes you find other avenues. And, and Emily's incredibly open-minded and adaptive and sensitive as a, an outside choreographer. So it's been a very interesting road. Um, I think in terms of this piece, there's, there's that in place. It's also work that I think from the get-go just in... Emily and I like to go deep and stuff. And we like to just kind of dive in. So when it's just the two of us, we're able to dive in pretty deep, pretty quick. Uh, when we work with other people, there's always, you know, like a, a little bit of uh, time that has to has sure, to happen. Yeah. Um, but that's what's really nice about this work is that we, we did, kind of didn't need that. Um, we were already in a place where we had a lot of trust in our working relationship. And I think that's fundamentally incredibly important when you want to go to real places. Um, and that applies to some of our collaborators too, who, who we work with. Um, it becomes important to be able to um, identify a place clearly enough that you can really go to rock bottom. But then, and when I say rock bottom, I mean like find a place that's real in yourself uh, and rip it open essentially and see what's there. Really go there, you know, like between acting and not acting. I would say that this piece is not acting. There are real places that, that we go to. And then the work becomes how do you how do you find the, the sacredness of it and then make it not sacred at all so that you can come right out of it and go into something else. Um, and so for me, that's the real challenge, and, and both in the movement and in the, the state-based stuff. Oh. Well, thank you guys so much for yeah, coming yeah. and chatting Thanks with us. us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, it's great to have uh, your company in Edmonton as well. I don't think you've been here before. Yeah. Oh, it's great to be here. It's so Like so meeting awesome. the people, the community, like, it's fantastic. There's so much great stuff happening here. Well, we are here in the, the tent fort with Freya Olofsson, uh, creator of Hyper, uh, which is shown once already during the festival and shows again tonight. Welcome. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> Super good. Great. <laughs> Especially since it opened without any hitches. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, Hyper is a, is a tech-heavy show. There's a, there's a lot going on. Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, where that began for you, where the show began. Yeah. Um, well, the previous two works that I've made have always have been with working with video. One work called New Icelander with uh, pre-recorded video, and I performed very timed and spaced choreography with it. Mm -hmm. And then the work after was Avatar, where I wanted to work with live video feeds. So I found a way to do that and learn some software to make it happen. But it was working with a very fixed white screen and then the body in front. Mm -hmm. And so in Hyper, I began really as wanting to work with um, 
project projections onto black surface so mm -hmm. that you'd lose the edges of the screen. And um, and I had heard about um, these chroma depth glasses that isolate color. Um, and I wanted to look at being able to change the relationship between projections and the body on stage. And um, uh, that also led me to work, wanting to work with black light. So there was various, and it always often begins for me with a point of departure of being investigating the, the question of how media can interrelate with a live body on stage. So that's where it began. Great. Mm -hmm. Is there something that, that really draws you to those questions of sort of using technology in something that's so inherently physical, like dance, and involves yeah. people so hard? Um, I partially maybe because I'm uh, my practice has always been highly visually driven. Um, uh, I mean, I trained significantly and primarily as a dancer, but um, always done drawing and painting, and I ended up doing an MFA and um, in new media. And um, and I guess I'm very particularly because I trained as a dancer, it was always like that all the visual media was completely separate from my work as a performer. And I've been curious over the years of like how to integrate um, both the training I had, which is mostly as a performer, mm -hmm. and then my creative aspect, which has been through visual media and visual arts. How do they come together? And 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 also part of the being so specific and the question of how the media interrelates is been sometimes my frustration with seeing how some approaches have been with that mm -hmm. and whereas video sometimes stands just as visual embellishment or a moving set and sometimes doesn't further the 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 conceptualization of the word right it's sense. sort of so, its own thing yeah so i really start with it to try and make it that it's really interrelated and mm -hmm. um part of the conversation mm -hmm. yeah so, can you talk a little bit about um, Hyper itself? I know that it's based on, on a thesis that someone <laughs> has written. Yeah. And, um, yeah, can you sort of unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, the, the quote that's at the top of the program there is um, uh, from this woman, Hilary Burton, who also trained in, in dance, and now she's just doing her master's in English. But, um, in particular, I, I ran into her in Montreal, and... Um, uh, there's this oh, 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 object-oriented ontology. She was taking a class in university. Really, I don't know that much about object-oriented ontology, but it's a, f a movement in philosophy that deprivileges the, the live body. And so I think because I've been making so much solo performance that inevitably you're not necessarily stuck with this vessel, but there's only so many ways you can transform it. And we're always looking for this sort of um, expression of authenticity, um, especially when it comes to dance. There's so much of that that I um, wanted, I think, in the work to like lose the aspects that represent Freya or represent myself and as, as I am, which is, you know, negotiates gender and mm -hmm. skin color and all these kinds of things that are just such strong signifiers. So, so I ended up with object-oriented ontology and then ran into her in Montreal and she was like, I'm just taking this course on it. And so I passed her the DVD and then it ended up that she started writing a, or she wrote about it. Um, yeah, so I guess it became from the desires of struggling a little bit with being a performer in my own work and not wanting it to be uh, always celebratory or referential of me, in mm -hmm. a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, because the, um, I mean, we, the, we do see you and your body on stage at parts during the piece, yeah. but then, of course, we also see this very abstract 
version of you mm-hmm. that is, you know, either the musculoskeletal. Right. You know? so layer by layer, removing sort of the elements we can recognize until yeah. we, we end up with a, a glowing line, yeah. know, effectively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that uh, the sort of de evolution, in a sense, mm-hmm. um, uh, happens in the choreography as well from the first piece, which I just made up the movement. The, Second little solo, the second solo, I worked with a male dancer, and we found his uh, virtual double. There was a doppelganger, I guess, the same name, had the same name, and he had a dance on YouTube. It just turned out to be a six-year-old boy. Okay. And so I was working with this dancer, going, "Oh, maybe there's some more recent videos of him performing. I just want to get ready before I see him in studio." And it's like, oh, six-year-old, let's work with this." <laughs> so taking the impulses of the young boys' dance, we made a solo. Um, or a you know, mature male body, and then I learned it, which also has so all these layers of translation. And then the third solo is um, a girl named Freya on the internet who's about four. And so in that one, I, I never really learned the, the, the set choreography. I'm, I'm learning it and, reinterpret- and, and interpreting it back to the audience because I just could see in her movement language that the way she was dancing was for, for a three, four-year-old was very... Um, sort of codified language that was mm-hmm. she learned that somewhere yeah, yeah. You know? she was coy looks yeah. and, <laughs> and the, um, you know so mm-hmm. yeah so so it became yeah further and further distance as well in the movement vocabulary right yeah. I, w- I wanted to ask you about a couple of the videos and sort of the process for creating them in particular the one because um, you can see that there are rules for the way that the bodies move in, in the videos and mm-hmm. I, I just kind of wondered what the process was so there's the one with um, the body falling through the, the bounce mm-hmm. balls. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other one where the skeleton is suspended by different points. Uh-huh. Um, so how what was the process behind those? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that was, I think, like right at the beginning of Hyper, I was doing some research. Sometimes my uh, work is much more at the computer and in my head than actually ever physically doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so I was creating these keystroke choreographies, I call them. Um, so working with the screen capture, recording right from the computer screen. I um, searched for any kind of free game online that would allow you to control a given body. Uh, so in a sense, I was looking for free labor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and also working, you know, because I was also thinking about the limitations of performing within my own my own physique, and I think I was dealing with injuries at the time too. Uh, was also in, interested in these imposed limitations on the body uh, in the virtual realm. Um, which all these bodies absolutely have no real relationship to gravity, but it's signified and understood when we watch them that there's this relationship. And so each of them, I guess, in, in the titles and the programs, I kind of place them in a playfully reflecting on um, various popular movements in contemporary dance training. So the one with the woman falling through the virtual world of the bubbles, she's just in this constant relationship to gravity. and. Um, that's something that, that's explored a lot in this movement called release technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's supposed to help you find new pathways for uh, creative expression with the body that are away from the very, you know, uh, departure from ballet. Modern dance still has a lot of very line-driven mm-hmm. um, focus. So, yeah, so um, for me, it was I think it was like reflecting on sort, sort of the... the the limitations of the body and through a different medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
it ended up being like really visually interesting yeah. <laughs> to watch it. But also just how, how I think uh, on a when you put a digital body on a large screen, there it the the scale change you can still emphasize or or um, there's a visceral experience from watching even a digital body or a representation. Of a body, mm-hmm. Yeah, so. just watching the body move. Like, I personally, I felt a little bit of tension watching it. Like, yeah. just mm-hmm. even knowing that it's a virtual body and it is a game being made up. Yeah. Right? Okay. yeah. But it moves in ways that you know, as it falls through these bubbles in that particular case, you know, that are impossible for the actual body to do without snapping and breaking. Right. right? So it's <laughs> yeah. it's a strange and interesting to watch it that representation and then yeah. sort of to to get more internal as the show goes on and to right. find you know to go to a real person and then yeah. the muscle system and then the skeletal system and so on. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Definitely. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Freya. Yeah. It's great to have you here in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, I know that you were here a little while ago with uh, at Latitude 53 yeah. um, doing some work, actually. Yeah, these, these screen choreographies I made while I was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Very cool. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We are back in the tent, uh, this time with Tony Tran, who is part of the Alberta Grown Showcase here at the Expanse Festival. Hello, Tony. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the piece that you are presenting as part of the Alberta Grown Showcase? Yeah, the piece that I'm presenting a part of the showcase is called Reading is Fundamental. It's basically um, on the world and culture of Vogue, which uh, came out of New York City and Harlem. Um, uh, so, I don't know, what, what do you want to know about So maybe, maybe tell us a little bit about voguing and vogue and that as sort of a style of dance. Yeah, uh, so voguing is, it is a style or a genre of dance, but it's also a cultural lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, it started back in the late 70s, early 80s, where a lot of these uh, LGBT youth and trans youth were being kicked out of their homes and they ran to these collectives or these houses where there was a mother of, a, of the house that would take these kids in and kind of adopt them and, and uh, take them into the family so they have a safe place to be, they have food and shelter. Mm-hmm. And uh, a part of these houses, there were multiple houses, usually named after a fashion house. Uh, they would meet up every so often and compete in these functions called balls or, uh, or the ballroom scene, I guess to call it. Mm-hmm. And they would compete in different categories, uh, fighting for trophies and becoming legendary in the community mm-hmm. um, and just uh, just being liberated and being their their own selves I guess and feeling safe mm-hmm. yeah. so how did the dance movement that is really actually kind of gaining speed and popularity now how did that how did that growth happen how did that growth well mm-hmm. um, pop culture so Madonna yeah. <laughs> uh, Madonna definitely helped and a lot of uh, different artists today um, musicians um, are pulling a lot from Vogue culture like Azalea Banks, Um, they're using a lot from the ballroom scene, Jennifer Lopez where she has a song specifically about uh, these different houses and what you're fighting for when you're competing. Right, so so in in your show, in Reading is Fundamental, how do you, where do you begin when you're putting together like a 15 minute Vogue work? Uh, where do I begin? Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I going to wear? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a collective back home in Calgary called the Bad Girls Club YYC, and with all of our process, it all starts with what is the look that we're going for, mm-hmm. what outfits are we going to wear, and that's also part of Vogue culture. Um, there's five elements of Vogue, uh, catwalks, 
uh, duck walk, spins, dips, and arms control. But there's other elements to voguing too, like your outfit, um, your demeanor, or your or your attitude. So um, in voguing, they have words or phrases like, "Oh, I'm going to be part of my language, soft and cunt," okay. or "I'm going to be really cunty," <laughs> or "I'm going to be really shady and I'm going to knock this." Can I say this bitch now? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. iTunes will just flag it as but it's okay. Right. So, so was there a, a look or an attitude you were looking to convey in this piece? Yeah, so uh, voguing came also from the drag world. So for those that don't want to go through the whole tucking process and kicking on the makeup. So uh, voguing is the sister to drag. Um, so reading, drag queens love to read, or actually any... any gay male that you might know. <laughs> they love to read and they love to um, basically cut you into pieces with their words um, or give you compliments or be really catty with what they have to say. Um, and that's part of voguing. Half of it is the movements, the steps, the elements of vogue, but the other half is the character and the personality that you need to bring into this own dance. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why, uh, that's where I really stemmed from with my piece is um, what sort of attitude or what sort of character do I want to play with? Do I want to be a little bit cocky, a little bit egotistic, or do I want to be a little bit more campy and just want to, you know, be everybody's friend um, and just go through different rides of the roller coaster? Yeah, um, you talked about the five elements uh, of voguing, and I wanted to ask about the difference between catwalk and duckwalk. Yeah, uh, <laughs> to put visual images. Catwalk, you're you're a feline. You're walking on top of a fence. Mm -hmm. uh, duckwalk, you're basically squatting and bouncing and kicking your leg out uh, at the okay. same time. So uh, squats are your friend, especially with the duckwalks. Mm -hmm. uh, so they emulate these particular animals and in these situations. Yeah, great. great. I had no idea what a duck walk was, but I read it in the program and thought we had to ask. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much. Thank Julia. you. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We're sitting in the tent now with Krista Posniak, um, who actually won the Good Women New Work Award last year yeah. at the Expanse Festival um, and now has presented um, a new piece. Uh, a new solo work called Prairies One, a uh, golden platter of obligation. <laughs> Hello, Krista, uh, how are you? Hello, Fonda. <laughs> That's a really heavy title. I think I came up with that before I finished the piece. So okay. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, I'm just going with Prairies One right now. Okay, great. Um, well, can you just tell us a little bit, um, we saw the piece this afternoon, okay. um, uh, but can you tell us a little bit about your, your sort of journey to, to build the piece and what was your, what was your inspiration for it? Sure. Uh, my original inspiration was my grandmother's stories of her growing up and um, like oldest in a household of eight, typical prairie household in southern Manitoba and uh, grew up looking after her siblings and then left her home when she was 18 to be married and moved on to that and she just told me all these stories and I thought wow like she's a brazen woman mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. the the decades that have gone by and then I just started thinking about all the untold stories that we have in our past and that's what kind of yeah built the, the piece was built off that so. mm -hmm. and you have some you have some interesting sort of I guess chapters or phrases in the piece that have to do with sort of different wrappings or different fabrics um, and I just Watching it, I felt like the first one. I was, I, I felt that it was very Ukrainian. 
Yes. <laughs> and I would, it's funny, I should have I have a bias, I will let you know. <laughs> but I was just like, I recognize that dancing and that is definitely Ukrainian. <laughs> I was a little bit worried that I might offend people because I've never actually done Ukrainian dancing, but I feel like I've you watched it. It was great. Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it started off just like this because she really came from this Ukrainian background, but uh, avoided it. She um, couldn't speak English when she went to school and she was eight years old. And then, uh, so she just learned English and as a result, none of us know Ukrainian. Mm. She just stopped speaking it. So um, she kind of left that behind, which I felt like that was the beginning of like this unraveling. Like she wanted to go somewhere else and left that, that prairie. Ukrainian mentality behind which but it never really left her like she's a stubborn woman who feeds us too much so <laughs> I love her to pieces like all of our babas yes. right <laughs> um, so uh, I wanted to ask too there's there's this focus on a, a large stack of books in the piece um, so what, what is that stack of books why why the books the books I mean when it when I talk about my grandmother um, she really found I think her self-identity in um, her search, uh, like her, not her search, her thirst for knowledge. She read everything she could get, get her hands on, magazines, newspapers, didn't matter how old they were. And um, I think it extends to a more universal thing that when we when we find uh, knowledge, then we also find a part of ourselves. So that was what the stack of books metaphorically represented. Mm -hmm. It also was just a beautiful idea in my head to have this stack of books on stage. So I kept looking at it thinking, you know, I need furniture for my house. I, <laughs> I could totally get that. <laughs> um, so uh, this w this work was created um, with with the help of the award that you won last year. Yes. Um, yeah. So can you tell me what it was like to work with the Good Women um, as um, mentors or as um, the outside eyes on, on the piece? Sure. I actually had um, Ainsley was very busy and Alita as well so I had Allison Cause and Kate Stashko come in uh, and they were it's funny because both of them being good women have very um, different viewpoints uh, so they asked me opposing questions which was really nice they came in about halfway through the work and said why are you doing this and like what does the fabric re represent and um, Kate was like I really like this movement and Allie was like why are you doing this movement is the same movement and I just thought well now I really have to explore this so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was nice to have opposing views and to take what what worked for me and really challenge my brain to think if one person is thinking one thing and another person's thinking the other and they're in the same vein of work then where do those match so that it can blend for everybody I guess I don't Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think um, watching your last piece as well. Uh, what was the title again? It had vodka in it. I remember. Oh, when I when I told you everything, I lied and drank heavily. Yes, <laughs> there was vodka in the in the dance yeah. itself, not in the title. Um, but I remember, like, I just feel that there was such a strong. Um, drive to understand family history a little bit in that one as well as this one so are there any sort of things that you're kind of scared to unveil about your family or were there any parts of this that were really challenging to dive into for you um in you mean in terms of the I guess the, like the, the really personal nature of really, it mm -hmm. the, a little bit I mean I did hold back on because I really strive for my grandmother and then I held back because she is a 
like a very private woman. Um, so I was trying to find uh, this character that was bigger than just the story behind her. So I do have this search for like personal history, but um, I've been having the, this question's been going on for years about a Canadian identity. And um, I think because we just keep evolving as a country and a society that I'm, I feel confused, but I also want, like I'm really searching for that like grounded, something to hold on to, like what is my Canadian identity? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm still looking like I, I don't know, I come from lumberjacks and railroaders, how much more Canadian <laughs> can you get? But yeah, so I feel like just with our evolving social um, melting pot, I, I, I don't know where, but I, I, I love it, so I just keep striving for it. So that, and that, exploring. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, well, thank you for coming and visiting us in the tent and chatting with us about your piece. What What is up next for you? What are you working on now? taking a bit of a break. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just finished a bunch of stuff. I was working with uh, Jake Hasty during the Canoe Festival, and then I did Bears with uh, Matt McKenzie and Pyretic Productions, and so, and then this, and it was all condensed into about two and a half months, so I'm just going to take a bit of a break and then see where, where it goes, but my brain's boiling. I mean, Trent Crosby made that beautiful desk, mm -hmm. and my friend Leanne Wong made the dress made out of paper, so mm -hmm. I feel like I've got some some work to do and I can extend this piece and thanks to the good women I have this piece so yeah it's that's great fantastic and well yeah well congratulations on, on the work and everything and uh, maybe we'll see you at next year's expanse as well but oh. hopefully before that <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice cool. yeah I'll be back expanse has been great and, mm -hmm. yeah have you seen anything that you want to uh, share thoughts on or I saw so almost everything. Um, wow, Hyper like really kind of blew my mind in terms of uh, performance piece and what what now we're seeing on stage and uh, just looking at the body differently. And uh, what did I see? The East meets West. Great show. Like opposing solos that just physically said so much. And I haven't seen a lot of physical dance with Trinard in town and Sylvani Mard. And I'm just like pure dance, yes, but still with story and um, humanity behind them. So mm -hmm. I've East meets West. Yeah. Great. Well, fantastic. Again, thank you so much for coming to visit us in the tent. Thank you, Fonda. Now we are in uh, the sound booth, actually, a totally new sound booth, secret hiding place, with um, Rebecca Sodden, um, who presented Fabulous Beast as part of the Alberta Grown Showcase here at Expanse. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little scratchy in the voice, but. <laughs> All right. Good, yeah. Well, well, we will try and yeah. keep the the chatter to a minimum, but can you tell us a little bit about um, Fabulous Beast, which is choreographed by Davida Mo? Yeah, Davida's from Calgary, she lives there, um, and I worked with her as an apprentice when I was fresh out of school, and she's kind of been a big mentor to me, um, and so I commissioned this piece from her, uh, just really valuable um, working with Davida one-on-one -on -one in the kind of artistic coaching and physical coaching you get from her um, and then I just really love her work so I would have wanted to be in it um, and this piece is examines these little um, often Japanese or Asian carvings called netsuke and they're just exquisite and some of them are really tiny and the amount of detail in them is like fabulous and 
we went through them and uh, chose out ones that were just like singular characters because it was a solo show and I seem to be drawn to a lot of demons um, <laughs> but there's a huge wide variety there was like monkeys and um, Dutchmen and demons and mm. yeah like more dragon like creatures and we kind of explored them and led the movement with the face which you often don't see in contemporary dance mm -hmm. and we talked about that and um, used these characters as inspiration and explored how to move in between the characters and um, yeah what movement came out of their postures and like contorting yourself to those postures because sometimes like it wasn't physically possible but you get really close and we what brought them to life was the attention to detail so this shoulders a little bit forward the chin's a little bit up how far away are they looking like mm -hmm. where's their focus um, yeah and the detail in the face really does come through um, in performance I mean I want to ask about um, some of the challenges that you went through trying to mimic or recreate some of the faces of these figures. Yeah. So one of my characters we named um, the Fan Man. He's the opening character, so I'm holding it. He's holding a fan in his hand. Um, and his mouth is wide open and his eyebrows are pulled way up and I probably hold that face for four minutes. Um, so sometimes in the piece one of the biggest challenges was just breathing and being a little under the weather I'm getting over bronchitis um, that ca that character my jaw would lock up because my mouth is so wide open for so long mm -hmm. but at least I can breathe and then other characters where my mouth is like smushed shut and I'm in a big frown and I have tension in my neck but I can't really breathe through my nose so I would often have to time like when I'm facing the audience and facing away the coordination of <gasps> take a breath and then turn back to the uh -huh. audience mm -hmm. but being sick, uh, fighting challenges like drooling and like snotting on myself, and yeah, <laughs> of like course, all the performance. Yeah. In some and way, it yeah. suits some of the characters because they're not very pretty, most of them. Um, mm -hmm. I was drawn to those demons, so they have quite grimacing, sometimes very funny expressions. But I know for me, the piece is kind of like, as a person, all that we possess like all of the ranges that humans possess so there's like beggar who's really sad and pathetic there's mountain god who's like really fierce and gonna like stab somebody and um and then like more funny characters are more innocent like book boy was the one with the book on his head like okay, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah so the piece kind of explores all that is a person and i think i think if you acknowledge all of those parts of yourself you're healthier but i think if you don't express one of them it will maybe manifest itself in other ways I didn't want to just like mimic these characters I just kind of wanted to become them and give them my own life and figure out how to move between them but yeah like I actually have had a few people they were like well you remind me of little Asian carvings and like well that's what it was about and then they were like really excited that they understood mm -hmm. the contemporary dance they like oh I got that one you know oh I got yeah. it yeah. <laughs> fantastic though yeah. I mean uh, it's we've seen you in Edmonton once already this year yeah. um, as part of the Good Women's Convergence yeah, Showcase um, and yeah it was it, it's been great to have you here twice so I hope that you come back more often Thanks. yeah I like and Winnipeg or yeah. Edmonton I like Edmonton it's kind of <laughs> reminds me of the arts culture is similar to Winnipeg, but I'm mm -hmm. from Alberta, so it's like there's that little home heart in my head. That's know? great. Well, hence the homegrown showcase yeah. inclusion, right? Yeah. You know, we're actually just like taking you back, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us on the podcast and um, have a good rest of your festival. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, guys. <laughs> 
Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We have had a fantastic time here at Expanse these last four days. I'm Fonda. I'm signing off now. Um, Paul and I are actually going to come at you one more time with a overview and our take on the whole festival with some reviews. And, uh, yeah, we just hope you all saw some shows and that you had a good time. Thanks again to the Expanse Festival for hosting us here and for building us a beautiful tent in the coat check. We had a fabulous fabulous four days here thank you so much cheers everyone go watch some dance this episode of i don't get it was recorded as part of the expanse festival in a coat check in the atb financial arts barns in strathcona county in edmonton alberta in canada it was recorded by Pablinov and Fonda Mithrish and produced by Andrew Paul. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at I Don't Get It Dance. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Check out more music by Ghibli at ghibli.bandcamp.com.